thank you, Kat, for your communion talk and your tears. It's a reminder to us that this kingdom is temporary and there's a kingdom coming which will fit in with what I'm talking about today that we need to be mindful of and keep it at the forefront of our minds in terms of the way we live our life and the way we share our faith. So today we're going to continue looking at this uh, idea that we're being transformed into Christ's image um, through different things. And we've looked at a number of different things over the past weeks. Today I want to look at being transformed into the image of Christ through our relationship with Jesus. How's your relationship with Jesus? Are you developing your relationship with Jesus? Because we're all impacted by people, relationships. Sometimes they're positive, sometimes they're negative. But you have to admit that usually when you're bumping into someone, it's either they're building you up, encouraging you uh, to become more and more like Jesus or more Christ-like, or they're tearing you down and the words that they say are hurtful and they, they affect your mindset as to as who you are even. So my thinking this week was, well, if I want to become more like Jesus, then wouldn't I want to be spending more time with Jesus and letting him influence the way that I live and the person that I become? So I just want to have a quick look at um, how you do that, how you do that as well as I do that, becoming more Christ-like. And I wanted to look at uh, this passage that Paul talked about as I was reading through it. This, this uh, word jumped out to me and I thought, wow, this is what I need to be talking about this week. Paul places an extreme value, was the word, the value that, that Paul places on his relationship with Jesus. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Philippians chapter 3, the value that Paul placed on Jesus. Yeah, Paul... Is, I love this passage. It's, Paul is saying that um, he's not looking at the, the physical circumcision that the Jews, he's not counting on, on works. He's counting on his relationship with Jesus and the fact that what Christ has done is really cut off our sinful nature. And then he goes on to talk about the fact that if anyone was to brag, that he could. And I don't think he's bragging. He's just saying... You're kidding yourself if you think you're good enough because I've got all of these things and I'm not good enough. Um, in terms of being a Pharisee and a, the tribe of Benjamin and, and uh, the way that he lived his life. And he said, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless. Yes, everything is worthless compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. I become righteous through faith in Christ. And God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. And I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. That's the value Paul puts on his relationship, he says it's infinite or priceless. You can't put a price on this. You can't put a price on, on knowing Christ. And as I thought about that, I thought, I do. 
I do. I put a value on knowing Christ, and I'm sure that you do as well in, in, in a way. In the terms of the choices that we make, we put a value on knowing Christ. Let me put it this way. How do you measure value? How do you measure something that's valuable? You can answer that question. Have a think about that. You've got something valuable. How do you know it's valuable? Sorry, sure. You're on the time you spend on it or with it. Nope. You don't want to be without it. You treasure it. Keep it safe. You protect it. You measure it and weigh it. So you know it's valuable by its worth of what you're willing to trade for it. So we're trying to sell our car at the moment. Anyone wants to buy a Prado 2010? <laughs> um, and people ring you up and they say, I'll swap you for a boat. Well, I don't want a boat. I want the value of our car. Um, don't know if that's happened to you before, but it, it, people do that. They, they try and trade you. In fact, there's a show on TV where the, the whole show is based on this idea of trading up. And so they... Have you seen this on, it's on um, Mate 7.3? They decide they want a boat, these guys, and they're like, well, what can we trade for it? How do we trade up? And they'll start with something like whatever. It could be a popcorn machine. And they'll find someone on the trading post who will swap them for something else. And they'll keep on trading until they get something far more and more valuable. Each trade they get is, is more valuable until they work up to this point where they can trade. The, the, the one I watched the other day was um, a guy wanted a, an old vintage tractor. And so they end up trading till they got this vintage tractor and then they traded the tractor for the boat. No money's exchanged. But they don't make the trade if what they want is not as valuable. So they, you, they're thinking about the value of something all the time. And so I thought about my value of knowing Christ and what it is that I trade... What do I trade for that? And it's time. Sorry? Your, your life. You trade your entire life for that. Sometimes we trade... I know for me, I, uh, I might trade sleep for prayer. And my alarm goes off at six. Bing, little ding goes off. Reminds me to pray. Ding, pray. I'll eventually get a, into a habit, hopefully, where I'll, that's the first thing I do. Because I've found that if I don't do that first thing, then I jump in the shower and I have breakfast and and you're in the car, and then you're at work, and, and it hasn't happened. I haven't spent time with Jesus, the most valuable thing, and gets pushed to the side because of a few more minutes sleep, you hit snooze or whatever it is. Or at night, you can stay up, you can have an extra glass of wine and watch a little bit more of the TV show or knock off early and go and read and spend a an hour or so reading scripture and let that put you to sleep or wake you up, whatever passage you're reading. 
But what do you trade for your relationship with Jesus? Now, this morning you're all here, and it's a beautiful day outside, and so you've traded something to be here this morning. You've given something up to be here. Maybe it was a walk along the, the river in the park or the, with the dog or whatever it is, time with people. The people who aren't here, I'm not saying they've, they're doing the wrong thing. They've, they've worked out the value of what they need to do and maybe they're spending time with family or something else or they're taking time to rest, like our know, old mate Ben is taking his long service. He's over in WA, visiting family as well. But my point is we're trading all the time. We trade um, time with Jesus for pleasure. The, king, the things of this world we trade, we don't do a fair swap with the kingdom of heaven. Or a lot of people struggle with the idea of work relationship balance. And so they're trading hours at work for relationships. If you understand, we're constantly trading for something. And my question for you this morning is what are you trading? to spend time with Jesus, to develop your relationship with Jesus. Because if you want to develop relationships with people, then you have to trade something for that. You need to give something up in order to develop that relationship. And you work out whether that is worth it or not. So we, you know, we um, are helping my mum and dad up at the farm and... Uh, there are things around our house that need to be done. And so you balance that. Go, okay, what's the priority this week? What has to be done? What, am I, what do I have to give up here to help there or whatever it is? But the, this idea has is, is really sort of captured me of, of what am I giving up in order to spend time with Jesus? Or am I thinking this thing, what I'm doing here is more valuable? I hope that all makes sense. We, we're obviously not a church where um, we don't watch Pastor Prince. It's praise the Lord, amen, hallelujah, every second sentence. Um, we just get... Mm. <laughs> Do you watch that show, praise the Lord? So Paul says, verse 8, I consider everything worthless or of no value compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And last week I looked at this um, book of Daniel, and oh, that's what I was going to say. My link. Some people give up fasting. They give up food. They give up food, or they fast in order to develop relationship with Jesus. I've not really spent a lot of time fasting, although I, I do occasionally. But what they're doing is they're denying themselves something which I would consider valuable, and they're trading it for something of greater value, the relationship with Jesus. And they don't see it as losing something but gaining something because it's more valuable, right? And so last week we looked at the book of Daniel where Daniel was not prepared to defile himself with the king's food. And the king's food, mind you, it, the table would have been filled with all sorts of beautiful foods. 
not bacon and eggs, not baked beans. Um, and he said, no, I'm not going to defile myself by eating this food because I know that God wants me to live my life this way. And so we traded that for a relationship with God. And we all know that the results speak for themselves, that Daniel was used by God to demonstrate the power of the heavenly kingdom over an earthly kingdom. And he was elevated from a servant or a slave to be uh, in charge of the entire kingdom. The value you put on your relationship has a consequence on an eternal kingdom. When we say no to the things of this world, God honours that. This is the kingdom that we're talking about, this upside-down kingdom that we just sung about, where the humble are exalted and the exalted are humbled. Where those who live their life for this here and now lose it, where those who give up their life, where they serve and serve others, receive the kingdom. The humble, uh, Matthew 5, 5, the humble will inherit the kingdom of God. The humble, sorry, not the kingdom of God. The humble will inherit the whole earth. I never thought about this before until I was reading through Daniel. This is what Daniel says. He writes to all the believers, and he calls them the ones made holy or the holy ones. He's referring to us, and he encourages us to maintain our, our relationship with God. And this is why. And don't get caught up with trying to picture these images. Just listen to what the outcomes are. This is chapter 6, verse 17. These four huge beasts represent four kingdoms, that will arise from the earth. But in the end, the holy people of the Most High will be given the kingdom and they will rule forever and ever. So there's a powerful kingdoms being exchanged. Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greek, Greece, Rome, and, and the, the other ten tribes, other ten rulers probably... Uh, European rule, if you follow the flow of the way things have gone. And then this, um, this small rock smashes this whole idol, if you remember. And this little rock goes on to develop and rule the whole world. This kingdom of God is growing and growing and growing. And that's the kingdom we're a part of. And now I'm not sure of the timing of all of this, and it doesn't really matter whether you believe in the rapture uh, that we take in and then come back and then Jesus comes back with the church and establishes his kingdom. That's a detail we don't have to worry about. The main thing is that Jesus will come back and establish his kingdom on earth and the holy people of the most high God will be given the kingdom and they will rule forever and ever. He doesn't just say it once. Uh, I'm reading from chapter 6, verse 21. Oh, yeah, I wrote six, but it's actually chapter seven. There you go. Thank you. I forgot I had that up there. As I watched this horn was waging war against God's holy people, you see this, uh, this rule won't come without a challenge or a sacrifice. 
the holy people will need to pay some sort of price. And as I watched this hornet's waging war against God's holy people and was defeating them until the ancient one, the most high, came and judged in favour of his holy people. And then the time arrived for the holy people to take over the kingdom. And then he said to me, the fourth beast is the fourth world power that will rule the earth. It will be different from all the others. It will devour the whole world, trampling and crushing everything in its path. Its ten horns are ten kings who will rule that empire. Then another king will arise, different from the other ten, who will subdue three of them. And he will defy the Most High and oppress the holy people of the Most High. And he will try and change the sacred festivals and laws. And they will be placed under his control for a time, times and half a time. But then the court will pass judgment, heavenly court. And all his powers will be taken away and completely destroyed. And then the sovereign power and the greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be given to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will last forever and all rulers will serve and obey him. Who are these holy people? They are the ones made holy by, through faith in Christ, not their own deeds. That's us. We are these holy people who will be given kingdoms or a kingdom to rule with Christ. Those who've traded the things of this earthly kingdom for the kingdom to come. We are the children of God, and I'm not sure of the verse, but we are receiving our inheritance. And you think about that. We're receiving an inheritance that will never perish or fade. First uh, Peter, second Peter, chapter one. Kept in heaven for you who through faith are being guarded until this time of salvation. What's it going to say? That it's worth more than gold 